The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Live Healthy, Be Healthy with Dr. Jim Fox and Dr. Janine Fox. Our show is based on science-backed information on alternative and natural approaches to health. You'll hear the clinical pearls, real-life stories about real patients and situations. It all comes together so that you can live your best health. Now, here are the Doctors Fox. And good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to uh, Live Healthy, Be Healthy. Uh, tonight, we are so honored to have a, a special guest with us, Dr. Lauren Cordain. Uh, Dr. Cordain is probably best known uh, for his book, The Paleo Diet. And we're going to be talking a, a lot about this particular diet and lifestyle tonight. But uh, Dr. Cordain has been, <clears throat> he's the author of over 100 peer-reviewed scientific articles published in such well-known journals, journals as the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition and the British Journal of Clinical Nutrition, the European Journal of Clinical Nutrition, and, and even for the Paleo Magazine, as some of you may be familiar with that, it's a magazine about the paleo lifestyle. I authored several books. Uh, probably the one that was probably the most popular was called The Paleo Diet. And, you know, a lot of people ask us uh, if, that are getting into this particular diet and, and lifestyle what book to go to. And I said, above all, read Dr. Cordain's book, The Paleo Diet. Um, that's the or the paleo answer or the paleo answer. Well, we get them into that later, Janine. Right. But, but we start out <laughs> with that. Paleo. I said you got to read that one first, then you can take all the rest of them because you. Uh, he's even got some cookbooks, and uh, we're going to be talking a lot about the foods and stuff tonight. And uh, I think uh, you're a retired um, professor from the University of Colorado State, right? Yes, indeed, I am. I, uh, I was a professor at CSU in the Department of Health and Exercise Science for. 32 years, and I retired in uh, December of 2013. So uh, I, I'm kind of enjoying my retirement, but still trying to be productive. Nah, well, <laughs> see, that's always good. We have to stay productive or we wither and go away, as they say. There you uh, go. There you well, I'm go. delighted to be uh, on your show uh, tonight. This is in Colorado at six. What is it? In Mississippi, you guys are at Seven or eight now. Uh, yeah, we're seven oh four according to my computer. Y'all are probably so, much yeah. colder. I'm, I'm than... really delighted to be on your show, and I, I just want to thank both of you uh, for being so supportive of my work. Well, we that we are. You know, like I say, a lot of times uh, folks ask us about our particular diet or something that we recommend, and you know, say they always say, "Well, is there a book I can go to?" And I promise you, we wave this book in front of them. You know, this paleo diet. Now, that was the actual. Uh, book that I think you know they can get the most out of to start with, and of course you've got others too. I think that's the biggie. And uh, well, well, thank you so much. And uh, uh, you know, I I have friends uh, and physicians and and, and practitioners mm-hmm. uh, all over the U.S. and around the world. And uh, you know, it's just I, I'm delighted to find out about uh, a group like yourself and your wife that uh, mm-hmm. also support the concepts. So. 
uh, I'll try to do the best I can tonight and and give you guys uh, the information that I have right. to the best of my knowledge. There you go. Well, I think one of the first things that uh, that we probably need to get across to the listeners, Dr. Cordain, is exactly what is the paleo diet? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a you good know, one, right? <laughs> it, it takes a little bit of a historical uh, perspective to kind of get to where uh, this term came up because it is obviously now a household uh, word that it is. the whole world is at least aware of the terminology but not necessarily the concept and so kind of from a real basic perspective is paleo means old and it stands for paleolithic which means the old stone age Mm -hmm. and so the at least philosophical idea behind this concept is that um, our genes really haven't changed a whole lot since we left the stone age 10,000 years ago and uh, our genes were shaped by the environment um, that shaped the human genome. So <clears throat> what we try to do with the paleo diet is to mimic or emulate the food groups uh, that our ancestors ate. You know, and I, I think that's one, one of the big misconceptions is that we're trying to eat like Stone Age people. Well, <laughs> we, we, we couldn't possibly eat the same foods our Stone Age ancestors ate because they either don't exist, um, they're illegal to produce and sell. Right, that's probably true. (laughs) Yeah, you can't get wild game meat, you know, uh, in the United States. It's just, you can't buy it, so you have to go through uh, farm-raised people. But, But that's not a crucial issue. What we're trying to do is we're trying to emulate the food groups. And so the food groups that they ate were fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, uh, wild meats, fish, seafood, nuts, um, eggs, poultry, anything that, uh, you know, they were opportunistic. They could eat anything that was available in their environment. And so what we're trying to do is to emulate those food groups that our ancestors ate with uh, contemporary or modern foods that you can purchase at your local grocery store or supermarket. And... By doing that, um, it drastically changes the nutritional characteristics of your diet. And uh, so that, that, that's really kind of the, the basic idea. So maybe uh, I should have called it the non-junk food diet or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Paleo well, seems I, to have, actually, have you know, clicked diet, right. with uh, the world. But uh, really, the, it, it's not so much what we eat. It's what we don't eat. And our Stone Age ancestors didn't eat processed foods. Right. And unfortunately, in the U.S. diet, as we've pointed out in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition and other uh, nutritional and scientific journals, is that 70% of our calories come from four foods, refined grains, refined sugars, refined vegetable oils, and dairy products. And, you know, that kind of seems at first like, what? I don't eat that much, 70% of my calories. But actually, when you combine those four foods, refined grains, refined sugars, refined vegetable oils, and dairy products, uh, it turns out that virtually all processed foods, pizza, donuts, cake, cookies, bread, uh, ice Mm -hmm. cream, you name it, they're all made from those same food groups. So our point is that 
if you eliminate or significantly reduce those four food groups, then what's left? Well, what's left are the foods that we traditionally have consumed as humans. And so obviously broccoli didn't exist more, you know, 300 years ago. It's a, a you know, genetic <clears throat> version of cabbage, but the nutritional characteristics of those food groups, fresh fruits, vegetables, uh, meat, seafood, and, and so forth, are virtually identical to the nutritional characteristics of our ancestral foods. So people do quite well, and uh, uh, these types of foods are therapeutic, but more importantly, it's therapeutic when we eliminate 70% of the calories from four foods. Right. I think one of the things you brought up was the lack of change in our uh, genetic structure uh, since uh, I've, I've seen you know, as back as far as 40,000 years ago, we've changed less than what I think it's less than 0.2% or something like that. It's a very low percentage that we've actually changed genetically. Uh, and that brings into something that Janine and I talk about a lot of times on the show here. Uh, dealing with diet and so on is what we call the epigenetics. And that's how the diet actually influences our genes. So uh, that, that's something I feel sure that probably goes right along with, with what you're talking about here. Well, I think that's a, a very salient point is that, um, you know, the, the major factor that shapes the genome of organisms uh, is the environment. And mm -hmm. in the last 10 to 15 years, the uh, scientific community has appreciated the notion that epigenetics, environmental factors, actually can also change um, our genome. Exactly. Now, having said that, we don't really have good evidence in humans to show that any nutritional factors have actually operated epigenetically. Um, there certainly are cases where the, you know, the arrows point in that direction, and I'm not saying that they don't. And I, I do believe that epigenetics uh, influence um, our genome, and that um, in environmental factors, particularly uh, dietary factors, may do so. However, there are studies what, which are called genomic sweeps in which we uh, evaluate the genomes of people from uh, around the world, from the Kuhn people, and I actually did that purposely. I did a click sound. Mm -hmm. uh, there are people in Africa that speak with a click language, the Kuhn, mm -hmm. in, living in Botswana, uh, mm -hmm. who are thought to be some of the earliest uh, uh, members of our genus, Homo sapiens. Mm -hmm. And we've contrasted their genome to people that live in diverse areas of the planet, including uh, North American Indians, uh, people from uh, Eurasia, and virtually all around the world. And these genomic sweeps... Uh, indicate that, uh, you know, when we contrast the entire genome of these population groups, indicate that we really haven't changed a whole lot uh, within, you know, our, our genome. And, and particularly, there, there's a couple of examples that are, excited, are cited by the, you know, 
uh, people that uh, are interested in this, and, and one is the ability to digest lactose. Mm-hmm. But the, the largest uh, genomic change in the human species occurs in our immunological system, a system called the human leukocyte antigen system, or HLA. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense, is that as humans migrated from Africa, our genus Homo sapiens evolved in Africa about 200,000 years ago, and we spread throughout the world, but it took us a long time to get there. So we really didn't get out of Africa till I don't know, about maybe 100,000 years ago, and we didn't really migrate to Europe until 40 or 50,000 years ago, to Australia about the same time period, to North America maybe 15,000 years ago. And, and what we find is that what has changed most about our genome is this HLA, or human leukocyte antigen system. And what that does is it allows our immune system to evolve to be protective against the um, pathogens that we encountered when we went from Africa to Eurasia to Australia to North America to Europe and throughout the world. So the immune system seems to be quite plastic, and uh, about 5% of the changes in our genome seem to, of all the changes, um, so in other words, what I'm saying is close to 100% of the changes in the human genome uh, since we left Africa. Pretty recently, in other words, right. Right, have okay. occurred yeah. in our immune system. Yeah. So that, that's really the big issue. And, and it, yeah. okay. we are basically the same species, our, our pancreas, our right. GI tract, right. our requirement for long-chain fatty acids, right. our inability to deal with refined All sugars right. and, and what have you. All right, hold that thought for me for just a moment, Doc, and uh, we're going to have to take a little break here. Hold that thought, and we'll come back to that uh, just a moment after we take this little short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. There is a fact that we must all face, and that is that life happens. And many times it happens to involve different medical conditions. With the medical issues of life, there are at least a thousand different opinions on how to treat them. Not at Doctors Nutrition. At Doctors Nutrition, you get real answers that make sense. You get real information on how to treat medical conditions naturally, and maybe even prevent the issue from coming back. At Doctors Nutrition, you'll get practical advice on how to improve the quality of your life naturally and nutritionally. You'll feel much more comfortable knowing that the doctors at Doctors Nutrition are working with you to treat your condition. You can find Doctors Nutrition online at doctorsnutrition.com or on Facebook. And for Dr. Jim's comments about the latest health issues, visit doctorsnutritionmedia.com for podcasts, complete live healthy, be healthy shows, and more. Start your homework online or call toll-free at 800-824-0194. That's 800-824-0194. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned in to Live Healthy, Be Healthy with Dr. Janine Fox and Dr. Jim Fox. 
To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. We also welcome your emails to jfox at doctorsnutrition.com. Now, back to Live Healthy, Be Healthy. Yeah, uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Live Healthy, Be Healthy. We're, we're talking to Dr. Uh, Corda- Lauren Cordain, and <clears throat> just so happened, you kind of caught us <laughs> in our break here. We were talking about tilapia. Now, Dr. Cordain, tell me about tilapia. You were on a, a, a good roll there on tilapia. so uh, Yeah, tell uh, everybody why it's bad. Why it's bad, right. Well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm 64 years old, and uh, in my youth, I used to raise tropical fish in aquariums, and I know what tilapia are. They're, they're mouth breeders, and so I had mouth breeders when I was a teenager uh, growing up in, in Carson City, Nevada, and so I was very interested in, in all kinds of tropical fish, and uh, tilapia, uh, mouth breeders, mm-hmm. uh, you know, are indigenous, as I mentioned, to eastern Africa, and, and they're used as as food fish around the world because they breed rapidly and they put on weight. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that uh, the way we feed them these days is with uh, these fish pellets that are made from cereal grains. And so uh, tilapia then end up uh, having fatty acid profiles. In other words, the types of fats they have that are com- Completely different than what we see in wild versions. So that's one of the problems with farming fish is that it's a, a good idea because we end up getting a lot of protein, uh, you know, per buck, but mm-hmm. it's a bad idea in terms of what it does nutritionally to the fish. So you're much better off if you can afford it to, to consume wild fish. And, yeah. I, you know, I, I think the problem is, is I'm, I'm fully on board with, you know, some of your listeners who probably are saying, well, that's not sustainable and that's depleting the, the world's oceans of fish, is fish. But I think that it is a manageable problem that we can get around by not overfishing and uh, right. using legislation. I'm not a politician, but uh, I think we're a lot better off when we can consume uh, you know, wild fish rather than farm fish. Oh, definitely, definitely. Like you said, uh, we're we're here on the uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast, and we have uh, we're we're you know involved. <clears throat> a lot of our patients and a lot of family, even as far as that goes, <clears throat> involved in the industry. And you know, management of these natural resources is is vital. I mean, we they have to manage the uh, the Department of Marine Resources here manages the shrimp industry, for instance, and the oystering. Uh, making it very difficult to overdo it, you know, to overfish it or over uh, harvest. And I think that's what we have to do. I think you're right. We have to do that around the world with what any kind of uh, natural resource that we have, really. You know, and, and, and Jim, thanks, you know, so much for bringing that concept up. And I think that uh, one of the ideas, and once again, I'm, I'm, I'm not, a, a, you know, a sustainability biologist. I'm a, a nutrition guy and uh, a nutritional physiologist. But uh, from what I understand is that in the ocean, when you leave large swaths of non-fished areas, then they kind of serve as a seeding area to allow species to come back. 
and reproduce and uh, achieve their population densities that they had before fishing. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of like, well, let's leave an open area here where we don't fish at all. And, you know, in, in Australia and New Zealand, they have these. And, mm-hmm. and it, it seems like the fish and the wildlife and the corals and everything come back. Right. Uh, you know, if you leave them alone, and then in an adjacent area, if you fish it, but don't overfish it, uh, it, it, it seems to allow nature to come back to equilibrium like it was before humans uh, were involved. That's true. That's very true. Well, you know, a lot of, um, you know, the, and, and I think we talked about it before there, they started out talking about the genetics, and you know, we mentioned the epigenetics and how that alters our, uh, our, di- our health, really. Um, and a lot of people have, you know, looked at this diet, at the paleo, and they say, well, I think I'm gonna, I'd be better off doing a vegetarian diet. Now, what's your take on doing a strictly vegetarian diet? Um, well, I've written about that um, in my most recent book, mm-hmm. The Paleo Answer, mm-hmm. uh, which was published in 2012 uh, by John Wiley and Sons. And John Wiley and Sons were bought out by uh, Houghton, Mifflin, and, and uh, Harcourt in mm-hmm. 2013. So they now publish that book, but it is available at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever you want to go locally. And I've written an entire chapter on the problems with vegetarianism. Mm-hmm. And on my website, www.thepaleodiet.com, I've also written an extensive uh, blog series, three different blogs, on the nutritional problems with vegetarian diets. So, obviously, our ancestors, <clears throat> um, before the... Uh, agricultural revolution, mm-hmm. no hunter-gatherers ever consumed vegetarian diets. And we've actually documented that in, I don't know, a half dozen scientific papers. Right. Uh, so from an evolutionary, historical, and archaeological perspective, um, you know, there's no precedence for this. Uh, the first vegetarian diets kind of came into play with the Greek culture uh, and they gained traction in the Western world not until only very, very recently, maybe in England in the 1850s and before mm-hmm. that in in India and some Hindu cultures, uh, you know, two to three thousand years ago. But for the most part, on a evolutionary timescale, no humans ever ate Mm-hmm. vegan or vegetarian diets and there's numerous problems associated uh you know nutritional and health problems associated with this way of eating mm-hmm. yeah we see a lot of it on lab oh, uh, work it's probably the most unhealthy people we see are the vegetarians yeah we we have a, like janine just brought up a point there doc we, we do we do a tremendous amount of lab work on patients all over the country really and uh we see so many of these people, and, and sometimes when you see some certain patterns show up on their lab work, and you have to ask them about their diet right off the bat, and a lot of them will tell you, oh, well, I'm strictly vegetarian. Now, we usually will respond, okay, well, that's one problem, and they, they think we're <laughs> kind of nuts, but, uh, you know, okay, we got to change that. 
uh, because the, you know we've got these problems that show up, like Janine said, in, in the lab work. Uh, it's it's you know it's black and white evidence that that's just not good for you. Yeah. Well, you know, I I think Janine, that's a you know a very uh, important observation that mm-hmm. you and Jim see with your lab workups, and the the first. Uh, Analysis that should be done on anybody who is either a vegan or a vegetarian is a compound called homocysteine. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and and what you'll find is that um, about 90 to 95% of all vegans and vegetarians end up with high homocysteine levels in their plasma. Exactly. And at one time, you know, going dating back to the 19, golly, this goes with Comer McCulley and goes all the way mm-hmm. back to the late 70s. Uh, at one time, it was thought that high homocysteine uh, may have uh, provoked endothelial damage, which caused heart disease. And so that was really the only thought, you know, back in the 70s or 80s uh, that was the problem. But now what we're finding is elevated homocysteine, w- which is a compound um, that occurs in our blood when we have insufficient vitamin B12 in particular, uh, it seems to be toxic to almost all cells in the body. And, Even the bone, uh, right. And what we're finding now is that uh, uh, such diverse diseases as osteoporosis, exactly, uh, chondrocytes that are involved in uh, promoting you know, uh, bone health, uh, you know, if, if they have excessive homocysteine, it seems to uh, promote uh, osteoporosis. Also, people that uh, have trouble or difficulty, young adults uh, with fertility, mm-hmm. uh, it seems to adversely affect female uh, oocytes or eggs. Mm-hmm. And it goes beyond that. And, and I've in, in my most recent book, I've kind of listed and I showed the scientific uh, uh, citation showing how elevated homocysteine uh, adversely affects virtually all tissues in our body. So that's just that's one. <laughs> that's just one problem, and we can we can go on. And if you would like me to, I can list out half yeah. dozen other nutritional problems. But uh, I, I know we've only we've only got a few minutes till we have to come up on another on break. But I do want to do that. <clears throat> right. Yeah, we've got a few more minutes till we have to take a break. So if you would, uh, tell us some of those, uh, those bad things. Sure. Um, well, B12, as I mentioned, doesn't exist. Right. Yeah, in that's any, a big one. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in any um, plant food. And so uh, if you don't eat animal food, you won't get B12. Now, B12 was synthesized for the very first time in 1947 by chemists, um, at literally labs. Mm-hmm. So prior to 1947, anybody that ate a vegan or vegetarian diet would be B12 deficient. Exactly. So it kind of is mind-boggling for me to think that the United States Department of Agriculture, as well as the American Heart Association, says that uh, carefully planned, quote-unquote, vegetarian or vegan diets are adequate in all nutrients. No. Yeah. Right. No, they're not. <clears throat> yeah, we, we think that's crazy, too. Prior to 1947, unless you supplemented or ate fortified foods, you would become deficient in this cr- critical nutrient. Now, at the time, homocysteine uh, was not known, and it wasn't known how B12 
affected homocysteine levels. And we now know there's a long series of scientific papers. But let's just move on. So it's not just homocysteine. How about minerals? How about Mm -hmm. uh, iron? Uh, mm-hmm. Virtually all vegan vegetarians are uh, have low plasma concentrations of iron. They have low plasma concentrations of zinc. Mm-hmm. Most of them are iodide deficient. Most are right. vitamin D deficient. Most are vitamin right. B6 deficient. Mm-hmm. And virtually all of them uh, lack uh, long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, EPA exactly. and DHA. And we mm-hmm. know that by doing... Uh, simple blood workups, we can draw their uh, venous blood and measure concentrations of EPA and DHA in the, in the membranes of erythrocytes or red blood cells, and, and they're all deficient in those long-chain fatty acids. And we could probably spend the next half hour talking about how uh, deficiencies in long-chain omega-3 fatty acids adversely affect health. Mm. Uh, I think we've we've spent probably hours and hours on our radio show talking about that, and <laughs> countless hours in the office uh, for sure. But uh, you're right; <clears throat> you could spend a whole hour on that particular aspect right there by itself. Right. Yeah, and, the, and so we yeah. can go into that. And, and yeah. some of the more obscure uh, notions about um, vegetarianism and, and health right. and well-being is there is a conditionally essential amino acid called taurine. Why? Right. And all human studies that have looked at vegans and vegetarians have found that uh, their plasma concentrations of taurine are low to marginal, as are their urinary concentrations. Okay. All right. I want you to hold that thought for me, Doc, because we've got to take another break. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. There is a fact that we must all face, and that is that life happens. And many times it happens to involve different medical conditions. With the medical issues of life, there are at least a thousand different opinions on how to treat them. Not at Doctors Nutrition. At Doctors Nutrition, you get real answers that make sense. You get real information on how to treat medical conditions naturally and maybe even prevent the issue from coming back. At Doctors Nutrition, you'll get practical advice on how to improve the quality of your life naturally and nutritionally. You'll feel much more comfortable knowing that the doctors at Doctors Nutrition are working with you to treat your condition. You can find Doctors Nutrition online at doctorsnutrition.com or on Facebook. And for Dr. Jim's comments about the latest health issues, visit doctorsnutritionmedia.com for podcasts, complete live healthy, be healthy shows, and more. Start your homework online or call toll-free at 800-824-0194. That's 800-824-0194. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned in to Live Healthy, Be Healthy with Dr. Janine Fox and Dr. Jim Fox. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. We also welcome your emails to jfox at doctorsnutrition.com. Now, back to Live Healthy, Be Healthy. 
welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, tonight we have Dr. Cordain, Lauren Cordain with us, uh, talking about the paleo diet, and we've had some very interesting discussions so far. Um, if we would, uh, let's continue. I think we were, what we were going to talk about. Yeah, Janine one of the things that uh, we have a lot of people ask us uh-huh. is about grains. And the paleo diet definitely says no grains. Right. And that's exactly what we've been telling people for years. But people always say, but grains are so good for you. So, Dr. Cordain, why don't you tell people why maybe grains aren't so good for them? Well, Janine, very good question. There's eight major cereal grains that we consume in the Western world. And here in the U.S., there's only about four of them that we eat. Obviously, wheat is number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, corn is probably two. Rice is three. And then after we go beyond that, you know, it depends on the part of the country that you're coming from or, mm-hmm. you know, your ethnic, uh, you know, bias. But um, we have sorghum and millet and um, barley and rye. And so those are the the kind of major grains, Um, and oats, of course, factor into that. But the huge huge grain that most Americans eat on a daily basis, particially people from your part of the country, is wheat. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, especially (laughs) from the south. And most people probably have never gone through a day in their life if they're a a regular American citizen without eating wheat. And... What we're finding is this, uh, what do you want to say, snowballing Mm -hmm. evidence in the scientific community that wheat really doesn't seem to, we don't seem to do well as a a large group of people when we consume wheat. And at one time, oh, let's go back 20 or 30 years, uh, we thought that the only problem with eating wheat was that it caused celiac disease. There's about 300 million people uh, in America, and about 3 million of them uh, have celiac disease. And scientists have known since 1950 that celiac disease is caused by uh, certain peptides, um, precursors of protein that are found in wheat. And so it was really thought not to be a huge problem. Only 1% of the country has this issue, uh, you know, why make... uh, population-wide recommendations on diet when only 1% of us have it. Well, fast forward to 2008. We now realize that uh, at least, I don't know, 5 to 7% of the U.S. population has gluten insensitivity or gluten sensitivity, meaning that they have all kinds of health issues involved with eating wheat from psychological problems to GI tract problems to skin problems uh, to mental illness problems. So it is becoming clear that there are many problems with wheat. And one of the areas that our research group has been working on over, I don't know, the last 10 to 15 years is these compounds in wheat that seem to cause all the problems. And there are multiple compounds in wheat. Uh, The most well-recognized is gluten. And so everybody, I mean, gluten-free diets, (laughs) gluten-free foods, you you have to be living in a 
you know, a telephone booth in Siberia to not know about <laughs> not it. see that. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> Although everybody tells me, oh, I buy all these gluten-free foods. And I said, think about it. If you're eating those gluten-free foods, they've just switched that grain for another grain. Or another starch. So, another starch. And yeah, so they're you, you still having some of the same problems. You guys have got it right. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, well, let's eliminate wheat, our gluten-containing grains, and which is wheat, rye, and barley, oats, um, seem not to have gluten in them. So if you eliminate wheat, rye, and barley, then, oh, good, we're okay. No health problems. Nada. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, exactly. uh, other grains uh, ha- have multiple anti-nutrients in them that seem to adversely affect health and well-being. And one of the points I want to make, a simplistic point that uh, I think anybody can understand, is that humans don't have a wheat requirement. We don't have a nutritional requirement for wheat. We don't have a nutritional requirement for rice or corn or any other grain. Is that these are cheap foods that can be produced uh, very economically and uh, allow uh, the world's population to rise to six billion, seven billion, eight billion people. Right. Because you, you know they. They're a cheap source of calories, but uh, if you look at, uh, and we've done these analyses in our scientific papers, if you contrast cereal grains, whether they're whole grain or refined or whatever, to fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, Mm -hmm. meats, seafood, uh, eggs, nuts, and living foods, is that they end up at the bottom of the stack. For the 13 vitamins and minerals most lacking in the U.S. diet. So, I don't know, if you're a a basketball coach in Mississippi or a football (laughs) coach in Colorado State University, uh, you evaluate your players and see who can run the fastest 40 and who is the best shooter and who does this and who does that. Why in the world does the U.S. government, the USDA, not evaluate cereal grains against other food groups. They're absolute and total lightweights in terms of the 13 nutrients most lacking in the U.S. diet. So I think just on that perspective, not even looking at the anti-nutrients that are found in grains, uh, why are we recommending that we consume them? If you well, I think no I think you choice. you said and not you just argue. recommending them, we're subsidizing them. Right, I think that's well, wait, exactly. it. Exactly, we subsidize I, the hell out of. Them. I'm oh, serious. Yeah. That's why they're so prevalent. I was, I was going to say, you said you're not a politician, yet you have hit the political hot button <laughs> right on the head. <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah, you uh, know, you know, Jim, you you've got it. It's like um, here in Colorado, as and I don't know how much corn you guys grow in Mississippi, but. Here in Colorado, you know, half the state from the east side of the Rockies to Nebraska is planted right. in corn. Oh, yeah. And it's a very, uh, what do I want to say, uh, financially inefficient crop. And so most farmers here in Colorado uh, probably wouldn't plant in corn because they lose money. Wow. But So they plant 100 acres, 1,000 acres in corn, and what happens is they say, geez, we've fertilized, we've planted, we've done this. We take our grain to market and we show, you know, a 7 to 10% uh, loss in mm-hmm. our input. What they do is they go down to the 
the local agricultural office, they showed them this, and they receive a subsidy. So, exactly. So, so in other words, all right, we'll just plant corn the next year because whether we lose money or not, the government is going to make up for our losses. Right. And so what it does is it produces this enormous uh, productive uh, you know, amount of corn that we end up feeding to our cattle, which makes the fatty acid concentration of the cows right. horrible. So they now all are eating corn as well. Mm-hmm. We take the corn and we make corn oil out of it and we infuse it into our foods. And so that upsets the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio in our diet. And, you know, it, it goes on. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> it's, we see this every day. Don I always Kevin. say they don't subsidize broccoli and cabbage. No. And <laughs> they really Why not to, subsidize yeah. broccoli? Exactly. Yeah, Let's get those don't. broccoli growers. And how about in Mississippi, you know, those guys that are uh, going to market and bringing us the shrimp and uh, oh, yeah. you know, the healthful food out of your part of the world, let's subsidize those guys. And the bad thing is some of the shrimpers here are hurting because we've talked to them, but yet they're importing stuff from other countries. They import the tilapia. They import Yeah, they're importing a lot of seafood Um, that have a lot of chemicals added to them to be able to bring them to this country, and they're not actually helping the local people is from what we're told from the shrimpers. Governmental, again, I'm not trying to be a politician, but government should discourage uh, those kind of actions and should encourage... uh, local sustainable farmers market types folks so the guys that go out on the bayous with their boats and you know get the local shrimp and bring it in um and, and now, bring it to market that's what should yeah. be subsidized yeah. you know so you're, that, right. you're yeah, right and we do have some really good seafood here we, you, do. we really do <laughs> yeah, our, you know, shrimp, is- i'd be the first to admit is that fresh seafood is a little bit expensive um but in the long term feeding your population, corn and high fructose corn syrup, is not a good idea in terms of what it does to our health and, and what we end up paying costs. in yeah. health costs through yeah. uh, governmental insurance policies. Right. I, I actually, uh, one of the, you know, in all these interviews that I did, have done and, and spoken to people knowledgeable about this, much more so than I am, they say that uh, the health care costs in this country uh, could be reduced by a couple of orders of magnitude, not through pharmaceuticals, but by having people eat more in the manner of which Amen. you guys are describing. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you think about and I ask people this all the time, I said, do you know how much money we spend in America on health care? And they, of course, they don't. I said, well, it's well north of $2 trillion a year, and yet we rank number 11th in longevity uh, in the world. And we rank like in the 30th percent down in the 30s and 40s in some of the other health issues. Now, if we're spending that kind of money, if we just change their diet a little bit, Doc, don't you think we could save probably billions and billions of dollars? Hey, Jim and Janine, you know, one point that is so obvious that I've made, and I repeat myself, 40% of the calories in this country come from four foods. Refined right. sugar, refined grains, refined vegetable oils, and dairy products. And if you were to take those four food products and put them in a pile in front of you for your viewers, imagine mm-hmm. that. Here's a pile of white sugar, a pile of white flour, and a 
you know, beaker of vegetable oil and a, uh, you know, glass of milk and say that that's what you will eat from the time that you were born or weaned mm-hmm. until you die. 70% right. of your calories come from that. Right. How awful is that? I mean, it's that, pretty sad. <laughs> yeah, it's really uh, sad. And so, uh, you know, it just kind of comes back to eating living foods. And, that's true. you know, I, I, I've been in, in your part of the country many times, yeah. and I know that uh, you have farmer's markets. and Oh, certainly. Oh, yeah. And, and fish uh, and seafood and, and, and local markets. Uh, and, and even in the, the supermarkets, it's like, you know, for your listeners is have your listeners and people do their shopping in the outside aisles. Oh, <laughs> yep. you know, that's I always tell people, don't even go in the, the pro- middle. Yeah. There's no sense in even going in the middle. All right, we're coming up on another break here, Doc. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. There is a fact that we must all face, and that is that life happens. And many times it happens to involve different medical conditions. With the medical issues of life, there are at least a thousand different opinions on how to treat them. Not at Doctors Nutrition. At Doctors Nutrition, you get real answers that make sense. You get real information on how to treat medical conditions naturally. And maybe even prevent the issue from coming back. At Doctors Nutrition, you'll get practical advice on how to improve the quality of your life naturally and nutritionally. You'll feel much more comfortable knowing that the doctors at Doctors Nutrition are working with you to treat your condition. You can find Doctors Nutrition online at doctorsnutrition.com or on Facebook. And for Dr. Jim's comments about the latest health issues, visit doctorsnutritionmedia.com for podcasts, complete live healthy, be healthy shows, and more. Start your homework online or call toll-free at 800-824-0194. That's 800-824-0194. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned in to Live Healthy, Be Healthy with Dr. Janine Fox and Dr. Jim Fox. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. We also welcome your emails to jfox at doctorsnutrition.com. Now, back to Live Healthy, Be Healthy. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, tonight we have Dr. Cordain, Lauren Cordain with us, uh, talking about the paleo diet. And we've had some very interesting discussion so far. Janine, I think you have something you want to Yeah, just, right? on, just on the break, we were talking right. um, off air, and we were talking about some of the biggest differences we can make in blood work, just changing the diet. Simple changes. Simple changes. And you were just mentioning the lipid profile mm-hmm. and how much of a difference. And we see such a difference. I mean, in two to three months, you can see a dramatic difference in people's lipids. And you were mentioning, you know, you've talked to other doctors across the country that even taking people off of statins and if they change their diet, they can have a big change in their lab work. Well, that's, you know, Janine, you're, you're absolutely right. And as you guys as practitioners are, are clearly aware is that, if you bring in people, I mean, you don't necessarily need to do blood workup to see that these people have severe health problems. If somebody comes in and they've got BMIs that are way over 25 or over yes. 30, mm-hmm. 
You right. don't need to do. <laughs> you don't I can look at their middle workup to predict exactly yeah. what you're going to see with the blood workups. Um, and anybody, even if they're normal weight in the U.S. and they're in their 40s or their 50s, they're going to probably have elevated triglycerides unless they're yeah. either athletes or they're following the paleo diet. Mm-hmm. And so, elevated uh, triglycerides, as you well know as practitioners, translate to to low HDL cholesterol. And so the total cholesterol may or may not be in a normal range, but that that's really a, a kind of a, it's not a very good way of looking at risk for cardiovascular disease. That's how we did things in the 60s and the 70s right. and even before that in the 50s. Total cholesterol really doesn't tell us a whole lot about no. anything. No. Uh, what we need to do is we need to look at the ratio of different fractions of the blood lipids. And so... One of the better ways to look at this is the the ratio of the good cholesterol, HDL, to Mm -hmm. the total cholesterol. But that's even still not the best way of looking at it. I was going to say, one of the things that we do a lot of, Doc, is, uh, and you may be familiar with it, uh, is the NMR, the nuclear magnetic resonance imaging of the blood, where we can actually see the particles and particle size. That's... You're absolutely right, Jim, and that was kind yeah. of what I was going to hit upon. Yeah. yeah. That oh, okay. That's what we do a lot We do of a lot of that one. LDL yeah. cholesterol is that uh, it's the type of LDL. LDL can be, uh, you know, Good. fractionated into small, dense, and uh, fluffy cholesterol. And what we're finding is that small, dense LDL cholesterol seems to correlate um, with low HDL and... Right, uh, mm-hmm. you know the atherogen and high triglycerides in the atherogenic profile, and as we better understand the metabolism of cholesterol and saturated fats, it makes a lot of sense. And um, when you eat refined carbohydrates, which is what pretty much the entire country does, unless you're yes. a paleo person or yep. you know a low carb person, when you eat refined carbohydrates, it tends to elevate triglycerides and Elevated sure triglycerides does. are the uh, source for small dense LDL, and small dense LDL seem to adversely affect what's called the arterial intima, the inside of the artery, right. uh, that tends to be one of the uh, first factors involved in atherosclerosis. So, uh, you know, governmental regulations that suggested all we need to do is lower the fat in our diet seems to be ridiculous at this point. So you can eat sugar, you can eat white flour, and anything that doesn't have fat in it, and you'll be okay. Wrong. Yeah, That's probably what's causing the problem, is that people are eating these high glycemic load. In other words, uh, foods like sugars and refined grains and processed foods that elevate our blood glucose and... Uh, they produce a series of hormonal changes and biochemical mm-hmm. changes that not only promote heart disease, they promote cancer, and they also promote acne. And our, our, our group was one of the very first to point out uh, that acne is caused by the typical Western diet. So in Mississippi, uh, you may have listeners with teenagers and adolescents uh, that have acne, and I can tell them that uh, they don't have to take these, uh, you know, retinoid drugs, which mm-hmm. be destructive to, to help their acne. They can change their diet. 
Oh, That's definitely. That's exactly right. We, I mean, we, I tell we people stress that, that the, the teenagers time. are even harder to get to change their diet. But we, we, try, <laughs> we try daily. I mean, we, we're in an area, of course, we're in the state with the unhealthiest, yeah, we rank the most the overweight. Right. <laughs> we rank number one in something, though. So you know, <laughs> I, it, It's so cool talking to you guys because I know <laughs> you, you're, it's like you're in the trenches and you're working in, yes. in, in a very difficult area. And so right. I, I have complete compassion and respect what's, what you're doing. What's, pe- what's funny is people actually assume they come in and they say, "Oh, y'all are y'all are thin and healthy, and y'all must eat vegetarian." I, I, we hear that a lot, and I start <laughs> laughing. I'm like, "No, we eat lots of meat, lots of good fat, and and, and no sugar, no grains, and no dairy." And they're always like, "What?" You know, yeah. you can make some subtle changes. Um, yes, in your part of the country, because there are so many uh, wonderful ethnic dishes that oh, yeah. come down to Mississippians from, you know, their heritage in Africa and, you know, the French Quarter and, you know, oh, other yeah. parts of the world uh, that are in line with paleo. So, you know. Uh, oh, there's, there's so many. So what I tell people is you don't have to eat bad. We eat very good. We eat extremely, we eat well. extremely good. And that's one thing. You do have a new book cookbook don't, coming out, don't you? Yeah, we sure do. And, uh, you know, I uh, obviously, I, I wrote the, the kind of theory behind the, the book, but the, okay. the recipes are produced by just absolutely magnificent chefs and, okay. and people that know how to put all of these things together and make them taste well. So we have a new book coming out called The Real Paleo Diet. Uh, you can, I think you can get advanced copies of it right now. Uh, at I our think website so. and, uh, yeah. you know, through Amazon. Amazon, I yeah. think that's Because, Amazon. I mean, yeah. I, and I cook. I, I do it, a, it is a gorgeous book, guys. It is. I mean, it's one of those books that you put on a, if you happen to have a coffee table. If you don't, just put it anywhere in your kitchen or wherever. It's got incredible photographs. And, you know, you think, okay, what should I do tonight for dinner? Thumb through the pages. and You'll find something, is, right? Mm. It is amazing. Yeah. We're going to get a book, a copy of that as soon as it yeah, comes we're definitely out going sure. to get a copy. But we, because I do a lot of cooking myself, and we cook really good food, and we eat really good. And I tell people, you don't have to. I mean, I make, you know, flounder with a cream sauce, but I use coconut milk. I mean, I, it's actually it's really good. You don't have to eat bad tasting food to eat healthy. No, you guys are, you know, you, you're you're completely on board, and uh, like I said at the beginning of. The- the interview i'm i am just so proud and happy to hear that uh you know i i, I find support uh, oh yeah throughout oh, definitely. the united states yeah. and from you know professionals like yourselves so, right well we we've you know, only got a couple of minutes and left. anything i can yeah. do to help you or your listeners right. uh you know promote their health and well-being i'd be ha- absolutely happy to do yeah. that well, Doc, we've only got a couple of minutes left, Doc, and, and one thing I think Janine and I both can say that we've, we've enjoyed it. Yeah, we've really tonight. enjoyed it. We wish um, we had more time. Yeah. Um, and, and oh, I've enjoyed speaking with you guys. <laughs> and we, we will invite you back at some later date if you'd like to I come and delighted. share some more with us. I would absolutely be delighted. And just to let some of the listeners know so. real quick, a few of the things we didn't get to is how the paleo diet can actually help with leaky gut and chronic yeast problems and autoimmune oh, yeah. problems. And we did mention the you know diabetes and metabolic syndrome, but there's so many things that change in your diet can do for you. It certainly is. Okay, Doc, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Uh, unfortunately, the computer is going to take over and take away from <laughs> us here. 
But we certainly have and thoroughly enjoyed it, and I look forward to having you back at some later date. We'll be in communications about that, I'm sure. Um, hey, if you and Janine ever get up to Colorado, drop by, and my wife, Lori, and I will uh, cook you up a wonderful pay. Hey. Okay, and if you're ever down south. Let us know. That's right. No, I we, do we'll that, do the same so. thing. We'll do the uh, same cheers thing. to your listeners, and thank you so much for supporting Paleo. Uh, well, thank you so well, thank much for you. being with us tonight. Yeah, we've thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, listeners, uh, up. next week we're going to be talking about something equally as important, so to speak. It's about the consequences of all the various medications being used, especially the antibiotics in the American diet. So that ought to be a very interesting show, too, Janine. Yep. All right. Thank you for being with us tonight, uh, and welcome to the end of Live Healthy, Be Healthy. Thank you for being a part of Live Healthy, Be Healthy this week. Please join Drs. Jim and Janine Fox next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to your better health.